because you actually have a constitutionally protected right to free, unrestricted travel within the United States of America. All right, we're this is episode one hundred, right? Am I am I correct? I'm not good at math. You're the math guy on this show, so you Woo! tell me. One hundred. It is the one hundredth episode. You know, I feel like it is it is very cliche to say I can't believe that we made it this far, but cliches exist for a reason. I truly can't believe we made it this far. I'd like to say, oh, I believed in us the whole time. I thought this was gonna be a huge success. And to some extent I did, but you know, a hundred is a, a a huge number. Yeah, I mean when you go into anything, you're like, okay, well this will at least do something, right? But you never like literally i think what when we told people we were doing this like the the first thing people told us was like well what is it on average a podcast only lasts 20 episodes you know some shit like where people were just trying to (laughs) tell us why not to do it you you texted me a new york times article before we started saying that most podcasts fail and i was like what are you trying to say no i was just trying to say we're gonna beat that but Oh, okay. Well, you didn't clarify that. Well, in so the, I was like, oh. if you in that article, because I can remember that article, it literally talked about why they failed. Now, I think that's why I was sending it. Was like, let's not do this. Well, I think everybody that talked to us, they were like, yeah, I'll give you twenty five at best. So, <laughs> yeah, probably that they would have probably, but yeah, hundred huge. Let's talk about the elephant in the room real quick before we move on, Chuck. We have done a hundred episodes, but we don't have a hundred published episodes. <laughs> Because somebody might look and at it and be like... there is a reason for that. Yeah, and somebody might look at it and be like, hey, you know, you don't actually have 100. Well, technically we have recorded 100 episodes, but we've had to take some down in the long run. It just happens. You know, either some things happen that we don't want to talk about anymore. Uh, we have Queer Appalachia. We had to take that down. If you haven't heard, you can go back and listen to some of our other episodes where we talk about that. But there's, you know, we have reasons to take episodes down. Look, King Griffey Jr. didn't hit a home run every single time he was up at bat. You know, sometimes he struck out, sometimes he he hit a single. You know, that happens. Like we're 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 not perfect. We're human, and we've had a lot of a uh, swing and a miss, so to speak, on some of ours. <laughs> and we're all about giving you the yeah, best I mean, stuff, not not the bottom of the barrel. What? That's the other thing is like the stuff we took down, like it, it wasn't even just because we were wrong. Cause like, I don't, I'm wrong all the time. It was because the, it just wasn't good content. Like in the long run, like nobody wants to look, go back and listen to episodes about the, the, the democratic primary uh, of, you know, 2020. No, it's just boring. It fucking sucks. Right. We, we, we decided so on we took it down. We took it down for you really exactly that's that's exactly it speaking of of things that are worthy of being unpublished and taken down why not kick off episode number 100 with you know a returning champion of stupidity on this show mad dog 2020 himself madison cawthorn i i saw this clip and i thought this would be a fun thing to start out with our friend madison cawthorn foe of the show as i like to call him had an interesting take on the United States Constitution, John. And for those of you not listening, it's a founding document of this nation. Uh, Madison Cawthorn said it would be illegal for airlines to require vaccines because we have a constitutionally protected right to free, unrestricted travel within the United States. I'm going to roll clips so you all can hear it. We should be encouraging them to reject this. This is a medical apartheid, plain and simple. There's over 100 million Americans who are not vaccinated. I think it's even more than that. Uh, And if they want to start shutting down air travel for these people to get around the country, I think that's actually a constitutional violation because you actually have a constitutionally protected right to free, unrestricted travel within the United States of America. And I genuinely believe that what's going on right now is that all that's going to happen if United Airlines and American Airlines and Delta even, if they decide to start requiring vaccine mandates, let me tell you, I'm very confident there will be another air carrier that will come to the field yeah. and patriots like myself and you will give them all of our business. Okay, so that's Mad Dog himself. He was on Newsmax, a very reputable news source, of course. John, as an almost newly minted lawyer, I want to get your take on this because, you know, every lawyer is a constitutional scholar as well as everybody with a Twitter account. So go off. Let's see what you think on this. Is he right? Is he wrong? That, 
wow you know what that's that makes sense now we now have some authority to talk about things i mean i'm gonna be wrong most of the time but like i'll have at least like three letters next to my name so that's kind of cool uh i remember uh reading the constitution for the first time and them talking about like the ability just to drive through wherever you want to drive through and get on any plane you want to get on um i think that's even in the first amendment it is it's right you know you're entitled to peanuts as well and one free drink i believe right yeah, yep. the founding fathers that's, were very clear yes yeah, very clear spirits breaking the law Spirit, is Spirit Airlines is unconstitutional inherently. The founding fathers were very clear about that. It's it's been <laughs> litigated a lot, but the Supreme Court has upheld it. Yeah. No peanuts, no peace. No peanuts, no peace. I, <laughs> that's my new protest. Look, and I mean, honestly, and that's why people with peanut allergies are inherently un-American. Oh, you're right. That and that's that's not us saying that. That's Madison. Uh, yeah, no, don't listen to me. I disagree with that particular jurisprudence. And, you know, the Founding Fathers <laughs> had lots of problems, including owning people. But uh, so take it for what it's worth. That's uh, That was John James Madison, not me. That's true. That is. Uh, I'm just glad that we have a constitutional hero like Madison who has taken the time. Thank God. Who has taken the time throughout his entire adult life to really focus on the Constitution? All really like twenty five years, right? Docu- yeah, to really get to know that document. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to have him, uh, yeah. you know, re- telling us about it. He spent some intimate time with it. Took it out for some candlelight dinners at the National Archives. Is this, in your opinion, is this an, a weird interpretation of the Interstate Commerce Clause, or am I giving way too much credit to Mad Dog 2020 for even knowing what the, the that the Interstate Commerce Clause exists? Uh, I'm sure that his staffers will try and say that. I, okay. I'm not a convinced that he personally knows what it is, because, like, shit, I mean, you, you know, like— even the dormant commerce clause, which that thing, Jesus Christ. I don't know any of these fucking things. I had to look up commerce clause. Oh, well, the commerce clause sucks. It's a terrible part of the cons- – not that the not that the actual thing sucks. I'm saying to, to study it sucks. Uh, I don't think he knows what this is. I think he just likes to say that people have a right to do literally anything. Yeah, that seems – Because people, the- people vote for rights. People vote for rights. That's what they do. Yeah, and well, it's not exactly politically popular to be against rights. So, you know, and there's no, there's not going to be any negative backlash for him on this. So, honestly, this is uh, he's no. doing everything in his favor. So, from a political standpoint, right on target, buddy. From a moral <laughs> standpoint, way off board. From a uh, stupidity standpoint. Nail on the fucking head, though. Good for him. So, and I think from to summarize this, looks like we've we figured a lot of things out in this conversation, this intro. Spirit Airlines unconstitutional. People with peanut allergies un-American. Madison Cawthorn constitutional champion. And you know what? That that might be an award in the Appalachia Second Annual Award Show. Constitutional champion will go to Madison Cawthorn, I'm sure. A champion of freedom. Speaking of champions of freedom, real champions of freedom, John, we have a new patron who I'm sure is an actual champion of freedom. <laughs> this week we've got uh, an, our newest uh, Patreon member is Jessica. Thank you so much, Jessica. If you're interested in joining Patreon, it's patreon.com slash You can join for as little as $5. And Chuck, this month we are doing, it's this Friday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, mm. You've got a few days. You got to get there though. Patreon.com slash AppodLatcher. Go sign up because this Friday at 8 30 p.m. We, I know it's weird because we usually do eight. That's my fault. 8 30 p.m. We are going to be doing Eastern time. Correct. Thank you for clarifying. Drunk Appalachian history of the queen. Dolly Pardon. You don't want to miss this. That's all That's I'm right. saying. No. Look, people who've you don't, attended, you don't. it's not it's not Queen Elizabeth, it's the real queen. The real queen, the actual queen. People who attend, the duly elected one. People who attend uh the drunk Appalachian history. I mean, they leave just I mean, I think last time we left to a standing ovation. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yeah, abs they're all absolutely plastered, but yeah, standing ovation <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um <laughs> so anyway, uh come join us. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. It always is. 
and we do it every month. It's always one live event every month, and it's Drunk Appalachian History right now. It's, a, it, like I said, a ton of fun. Uh, some other key things just to go over real quick. It, this is our announcement segment. If you want to skip it, I guess, feel free, but please don't. Uh, you can always get in contact with us. Go to uh, any of our social medias. We're at Appodlatcha on literally everything. And I never actually plug this, but I should. We have a Tee Public store. So if you're interested in any of our merch, go check it out. You can find us. Just Google it. Make sure you go to our Tee Public store and not some like weird third-party website because people do steal our designs. <laughs> These are very complex designs. <laughs> I know. It's weird. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it is weird. The weirdest it stuff. It is weird. Um, so business. So we uh we we, we do a um, giveaway each week. This is a pretty cool giveaway this week with the yes, local business. Do. I should say we we uh we do a giveaway with local business every week. John, you you have been coordinating this. It's a really cool giveaway, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure that you have a winner chosen. Yes, I do. This week it's just a reminder. This is the Gatewood socks that were provided by our good friends at Gatewood Appalachia. Go check them out. You can go find them in the pin tweet. They're tagged. They have a ton of cool stuff, but this week they're giving out these kick-ass green and yellow raccoon socks. Chuck, I think yeah, they're great. I'm honestly pretty jealous. I'm not I, eligible yeah. for this giveaway, but I yeah, I almost created a fake account because I wanted to win. I wanted to rig it, but go. I didn't. I didn't. I did the ethical thing. All right, so to be uh, completely transparent, the way that I do this is I just asked my wife a random number. She picked the number, and then I look at the retweets and correspond it to that. That's how I did it this week. So anyway, this week's winner is at Frankenberry West Virginia, or WV. I believe that's Ryan Frankenberry. Uh, Ryan, if this is you, you win. Congratulations. Huge, DM us. huge. DM us next week. Uh, we're going to continue to go with Gatewood Appalachia. I don't know exactly what they're giving away this week, this upcoming week, but it will be from them. And I'm sure it'll be just as good as this week. Uh, and we will post a pin tweet. Like always, all you have to do to enter is make sure you're following us on Twitter and retweet that tweet. That's it. And it's the pin tweet every week. So real easy to find. And finally, Every week, we do a review of the week, and this week is J. Tom Bomb. <laughs> That's the username. I love that username. Great name. Quality uh, name. And, and J. Tom, you just won yourself some Apod Latches stickers, because that's what we do. We Holy give them out. Holy fucking shit. I know. It's great stuff. This review reads, a good home-cooked podcast. I grew up in Appalachian, Ohio. You know who didn't? J.D. Vance. And then contributed to the brain drain by leaving for college in the big city. I struggled to identify with being Appalachian because I felt it wasn't cool to be seen as a hillbilly and poor. I can relate to that. And Definitely. I even tried to re- erase my accent. Chuck, you kn- we've talked about that. Several years later, I finally started to embrace my heritage and finding this podcast has really helped. It's great to hear other progressive Appalachians talk about issues in the region, and the guys have a good conversational pace, unlike some overproduced podcast where they talk over each other. Feels ki- <laughs> feels kind of like eating cornbread and hand-picked green beans with good friends. Well, I'd love to be eating some cornbread and hand-picked green beans right now, Chuck. But anyway, J. Tom Bomb, you are the winner. Thank you so much for leaving that very nice review. If you want to win, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcast and make sure it's written because we can't see it otherwise. So just write out how you feel about us. Uh, hopefully five stars, and we pick a winner every week. Yeah, uh, hopefully in English too, preferably, because we're not uh, worldly and cultured enough to speak other languages. I'll translate it. I I, uh, I really appreciate that review. And um, you know what also I appreciate is our friends at Cornbread Hemp, the great CBD company. I've mentioned on the show before, I suck at soccer, but I sucked so much that even though I never made it past JV, I got an injury that has lasted an entire lifetime in my knee. It fucking sucks, and my knee hurts like a bitch sometimes, especially when I work out. But you know what I did, John, is I used the CBD bomb that our friends at Cornbread Hemp sent me and Mm -hmm. actually made it feel a lot better. It was really cool. Uh, so that's a you know user testimonial here. They're good people. 
Cornbread Hemp, Kentucky-based, we love Kentucky, family-owned, we love that. No corporate money, to, it is mm-hmm. it is crowdfunded, you're not going to be this corporate CBD bullshit that's been out there, but John, one of the most important things, you always mention it every week, what are they? Oh, it. this is my favorite part, I love telling people about it, because... Just like our friend Afro Man, we don't want to pick out the seeds and stems. And with cornbread hemp, you don't have to. It's flower only, full spectrum, and USDA certified organic. So you may not know what's in the vaccine, but I can tell you what's in this shit, and it's good. Here's the thing. I talked. I talked to cornbread hemp. I told them about their how well their gummies have worked for me, Okay. I wanted, I told Jim, I, I told him I would tell him on the podcast. I'm glad you also had something great to say about how it's helping you. It really does help us. So check it out. And if you check it out, cornbreadhemp.com, put all your stuff in. Okay. Take a look at that total for me. Okay. Now type in where it says promo code A-P-P-O-D-L-A-C-H-I-A. And then I want you to watch as your total goes down, not 10, not 15, not 20, but 25%, I said, Jim, how can you continue to do this? And he said, I just love the Apple Latcha listener so much that I have to continue this. And I don't how know, not? Chuck, I don't want to be one of those guys that say, I don't know when this is going to end, but I really don't know when this is going to end. It's one of those things. It could end next week. I don't know. So get it while you can, is what I'm saying. Could end tomorrow. So get it, get it, man. Get, get it. On Fucking get right it. Now. It's it's good. Get the gummies. God damn it. If it's you're so, still listening, get the fucking gummies. They're and delicious. They, I'm telling you, they help me. I do it. I take the gummies every night. It helps me go to sleep. And honestly, it's helped my stomach a lot, which I was surprised. Great stuff. Big John's tummy tum hurts from all the beef he's digesting. Mm-hmm. And all, all, the bullsh- all the bullshit that people <laughs> th- hurl at him every fucking day. <laughs> And and if this CBD can help with that, it certainly can help with yeah, any issues that here. you're having. So we thank yeah, our friends at cornbreadhemp.com. Check it out, and uh, and you know check Jim out. You can you can go on there and you can learn about him and the company. They're good people, and they're really just trying to provide a quality product. And uh, and so check it out. Thank you, and thank you for supporting us, and thank you for supporting Cornbread Hemp. All right, so today, John, this was um, this was a little bit of a, a surprise, I think, topic because at the beginning of the week or the beginning of last week, didn't really expect to be talking about this, but what a day. Amazon Factory Towns. Oh, man, that, that sounds like a dystopian novel a la Ready Player One or something like that, right, where... Or like uh, Hunger Games or, or Divergent or something, where in the future we're all just slaves to Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> when, we put, uh, when we saw this. Hi, I'm Dr. Miranda Melcher, host of the Just Access podcast. We bring you amazing interviews from the world of human rights and access to justice. From Dunja Miatovic, Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights to Liz Evenson, International Justice Director at Human Rights Watch. Whether you're a law student or legal professional, human rights activist, or just want to stay up to date on what's happening with the world, the Just Access podcast is your go-to for inspirational stories and fascinating discussions about the state of human rights today. Search for Just Access on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I thought it was a joke at first. I really did. I did, I I th- I guess I wanted to believe it was, but then at the same time, it's like no this this actually does seem like the natural progression of Amazon. Correct. Sadly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This. I mean, if you'd have told me this is where they're headed, I would have believed you a hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, because because Jeff Bezos got to create all these towns, and he's just going to fly away to the moon and create more. You know, of course. So, what are we talking about? Well. There is an article that came out in Bloomberg Opinion, and, and let me just point out that this is not the first time this has come up, but this is I think this article just got a lot of traction. I don't know. I think Bloomberg actually has a deal with Twitter where they promote their shit because I always see fucking Bloomberg and Business Insider articles on the trending all the time. But anyway, um, yeah, there was an article in Bloomberg Opinion, that's important, opinion, about Amazon's new factory towns and how they will quote-unquote lift up the working class. Well, before 
that, I wanted to point out something real quick, which is like the whole premise of this for us is Amazon already has so much power in this country. They employ, and this actually was kind of startling the statistic to me, as of late June, so that's obviously changed because we're in mid-September right now, or really late September, they employed 950,000 Americans or one in every 153 working like people with a job in this country. Wow. With plans to add another 125,000 more uh, this year and open up 100 more facilities in September alone. So in this month alone, they've opened up, they will open up 100 facilities. They're taking over this. Look, we joke about this, but literally, they're taking over this fucking country. Without a doubt. I mean, they're, we thought Walmart was scary. I mean, yeah, this is no, this is a this whole new level. Walmart looked like fucking Bush League. Yeah, this, yeah. Is a, this is a whole new level, and I don't think people really. I won't say that they don't understand it. I just don't think. I think they're kind of taking it for granted, maybe a little bit. It's easy to, it's easy to not really appreciate the magnitude of it because Amazon is not a really a traditional brick and mortar. Thing. Like you see it, Walmart's everywhere, so. And Amazon, like, yeah, you see a distribution facility scattered around, but it's an online company, so maybe, like, you're just not exposed to it visually all the time. But, my God, like, you know, if you think about one in every 153 people that are working, that's an in a massive amount of people. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> the the amount of jobs that Amazon is able to create, like, obviously, we can get into the how awful their working conditions can be. But it's incredible. Like how it just seems like they could create jobs out of thin air. Like literally. Cause they just, I mean, they, they kind of can. Tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's that crazy. And well, and I think that's sort of their in absurd business model is that they can, because they are essentially, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get it completely into this right now, but I mean, they're manufacturing their own generic brand of almost everything, or they can be at yeah. this point. And so then they literally could be creating things out of thin air. It's wild. But so I'll, I'm going to talk, we'll talk a little bit about this article about the factory towns, but then we'll also talk a little bit about the less than wonderful history of company towns, as every Appalachian has probably heard of. So this article, um, written by a a investment person. I don't know, a financial uh, professional portfolio manager. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Former hedge fund manager. And I'm going to, I picked a quote out of this article because I thought it was very telling of like, kind of like what this whole concept is about these factory towns and quote unquote, lifting the working class. So this is from the article, quote, burgeoning new places strung along the interstate and other highways leading away from urban cores populated by warehouses and fulfillment centers that are being built to serve the needs of e-commerce customers. These are places where working class jobs are being created in large numbers and where wages are already rising. They're not much in the spotlight yet, but making these modern-day company towns more livable for the working class might be a better approach to solving inequality with a higher likelihood of success than continuing to fight against entrenched interests in coastal cities and high-cost parts of metro areas. But the point is, and, and this was um, this is another quote separate from this, point is that we need to be thinking about what sorts of communities are being created by the growth of U.S. e-commerce infrastructure and what they'll need to thrive. So the idea behind this is, is that this person's advocating for, and this is what Amazon's doing already, they're putting these huge distribution facilities in these more rural areas outside of metro urban cores and essentially creating a community around it, which is what, you know, a lot of places have done before you look at, like, a lot of old factories, like like an Alcoa, Tennessee, for example, literally was named after the plant that was there. I believe it was an aluminum plant. And, um, and so that's the idea here. Um, I'm a little bit suspect of the author knowing what's good for the working class. I don't know much about him, but he's, he's had a career in, in what seems to be like finance and financial management throughout most of his career. So I, I question what his credibility is. What's like speaking for the working class. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. This, it, it, this guy, I, like I said, or like you said, we don't know him personally, but you were able to do a little bit. Uh, research on the guy and found out that he's he doesn't he's more of a jd vance ask uh type financial well, I, situation 
I haven't. That's probably true. I haven't read all this stuff, and there have been some people that said that he writes some good articles. Maybe he does. I don't know. But I'm to, sure speak, he does, to yeah. say that something like this is good for the working class, I don't know that I've seen the credentials that would show that he could speak for that. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I question. I honestly don't. I don't know what those credentials look like. To be quite honest, I just don't know. I mean, maybe somebody who obviously, uh, obviously works on that, but I, I don't know what those qualifications look like. But I do. Anytime I see hedge fund in someone's background, I get a little nervous when they start talking oh, about yeah. working class because yeah. <laughs> working class is not is not related to a hedge fund at all <laughs> no and I, like, well, he's written you know he's written articles that have been sort of sympathetic to amazon in the past and i think there was this idea that you know amazon's this tech company and tech companies are doing good and then you know over the past five ish years 10 years we've learned that's not necessarily the case and in most cases they're not and this is i think another example of it and i think tech companies have gotten the they have gotten around what coal companies have been through so like i've always thought this like a lot of the times people who write these types of articles kind of look at amazon and they go well at least it's not this right like they'll say like at least it's not coal for instance, you know, because they mistreat their workers sometimes and, it, you know, it's a terrible thing for the environment, yada, 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 and they create excuses. But then when you look into Amazon, they they should be scrutinized for what they're doing to people. Like, so I think Amazon and tech companies get a pass a lot of the times because they're looked at as like better jobs. But when you start to right. dig deeper, that's not always the case. So it's not always oh, better for the place. Absolutely. And we'll get into, I think, some of the misconceptions about that, and especially about how on the surface that looks like they're doing a lot of really good work. But on the subject of factory towns, now, the idea sounds like it maybe has some merit on its face because you think, OK, you're building a community around a town or you're building a town around a, um, a, a place where people work, you know, and yeah. practically that does make sense. But the history of company towns tends to uh, go in a different direction, I think, especially in Appalachian, especially when it comes to coal companies. And, you know, when you look at someone like like an organization like Amazon, which is this massively mega corporation that, that controls so much and will continue to just, just eat up small businesses and eat up other economies and create one on into itself, you give a corporation like that that much power and they get to do whatever they want. And so... I, I did like a, a TikTok video about this. I fucking hate that I even can say that, but uh, about the history of like coal company towns. And as you know, John, I mean, there's a, a great um, song. I can't remember who originally sang it, but it was um, it was covered by the legend himself, uh, Johnny Cash. And the song 16 Tons, which talks about uh, working at the company store and getting paid less and less. Well, in coal mining towns, as you you will recall, these are in very rural, remote communities, very similar to what they're talking about here, where they essentially built communities around the coal mines, had the miners work there. The company essentially owned everything. They owned the housing. They, they owned the store, and they owned the money that you used to pay for the stuff at the store. So the company was benefiting from everything. And at the same time, they started decreasing the price of coal, cost per ton or cost per pound or whatever it was. And so the employees ended up actually getting into debt a lot of times with the uh, with the coal companies. And it just was this horrible cycle that was just crippling the middle class and led essentially to a labor uprising. I'm not going to go into full detail with it right now, but I will link to um, um, some really great materials from the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum where they talk about it more in depth. But to, suffice it to say, the idea behind a company town, especially in Appalachia, was one where the company controlled every aspect of that economy and essentially operated a form of indentured servitude. Yeah, I mean, this is the funny part is like, I think reading this, I think one thing the author of it overlooks is the fact that when you create these types of towns, their reliance creates... Uh, I won't say it well re reliance on one entity creates oppression because 
you have no, there is no job movement, right? Like you can't go and be like, well, I'll just go to this other employer. If you're going to treat me like there isn't that, that doesn't exist. So when you create these kind of like little areas where only one company runs the town, essentially, even if that's not what they're going for, but that ends up happening. We've seen it throughout the entire region where one industry runs one section of the region and then they leave and what happens that entire section of the region then goes into a deep depression gee sounds like coal hmm it, oh wow now i don't see e-commerce or, going or away anytime soon but still <laughs> or today is like oil and gas right like west virginia is starting to get to that point right uh, for instance where oil and gas was booming and booming and booming but once construction's over and they're you know they're getting the resource they're done they don't hire yeah. any people once you tap out a well then you know it's on it's to the over. next one yeah right exactly uh, you know so it's i mean true. Uh, I, again ecom you're right e-commerce isn't going away anytime soon but that type of dependence on one entity creates this oppressive ability of that entity right and i think because it's not going away, it actually does create the same effect in a way because it becomes the only game in town. And if you look, we mentioned before at the top of this show, Amazon owns one out of every 153 employees in this country. And that's that number is only going to expand like that. That that fraction is only going to get, I guess, smaller. Is that right? I don't know. The The denominator yeah. is only going to get smaller. There you go. A little, a little bit of math for you. And think about it too, like when we, you know, we're saying like, oh, e-commerce isn't going anywhere. But think about this a hundred years ago, the same thing they thought about coal too. Like, oh, coal's not going anywhere. Like, yeah. And for uh, a long time, it didn't. For a long time, it didn't. I would say that I think Amazon is better at evolving than coal is, but. Well, it doesn't, it also doesn't depend on a natural resource, you know, recurring. Like you said, they literally create jobs out of nothing, which is essentially they're, that's what they're doing and they're, they're going to keep doing it. And I think, um, uh, well, before I get into that, I did we did put this thing out, which I thought we got some really great responses to this. We put out a post on social media. Um, so the company store is a very important trope of the company towns because it's all a sham. And in a traditional coal company store, you had to use coal script to buy products that was company money that you could only use in the company store, which is a complete fucking racket. And so that would be funny if we uh, um, took some of the best replies to this post. We said, what is, um, what is something that will be found in the Amazon company store? Wrong answers only, although some of these answers, as you will be able to tell, were very uh, spot on. Uh, John, I included some. I don't know if you had any other favorites, but, um, but uh, I-, I included some here. Um, handy helper robots that supposedly watch your kids and are cheaper than daycare so you can do overtime without worry. <laughs> That definitely is a right answer, but I I love where the people are going with that. Hillbilly Elegy audiobook, uh, of course. Absolutely. That's actually probably close to the Bible, I think, there. Um, This is really funny. Duty-free tampons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amazon Amazon basic branded movies. (laughs) Uh, Free will. Free will. Okay. That's a good and uh, this is a personal favorite of mine, very North Korean, free speech vouchers. Oh, shit. Madison will be passing those out. Oh, my. Yeah, he'll be shitting those out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> NFTs of Jeff Bezos working okay, out. That's, that's, <laughs> honestly, that is a very real possibility. That, that's very, that might exist already. Dog food for humans. Okay. Damn. Bathroom, bathroom break passes for the office. That's brilliant. Well, the office will be Amazon. <laughs> you have to buy your fucking I think, bathroom breaks. That's ex- I think that was the joke. Yeah. No. There you go. Um, half ply toilet paper. Well, there you go for your bathroom break. Yeah. That's what well, you got to purchase them both. I hope you have yeah, enough uh, Amazon it. script. The hell? Yep. Fuck no. Baby's first shipping lines comes with toy crank conveyor belt and Amazon boxes. Can't start them too that's, early. That's pretty And uh, this was a good one. Uh, yeah, I've got to start uh, them. You have to. I mean, look, if you're not doing that, I mean, what's the productivity level of your baby whose name is uh, whose name is B pound one, two, eight, seven, because they probably don't get real names there. Uh, and it, <laughs> yeah, no names. This last one was great. It was just baby dog. <laughs> Baby dog available I, for purchase at the Amazon company store. Honestly, baby dogs should be cloned. 
I mean, we've done it with Dolly the Sheep, and that was like in the 90s, so. I did an entire debate speech on that. Jesus Christ. What were you debating? Whether we should clone sheep? No, it, it, I, th- there's a thing called after dinner. I don't remember if it was there when you were there, but it's essentially you take a topic and you you tell a story, but you create you you essentially do stand up comedy while making a point. Oh, that's an, after dinner is when I go to Taco Bell and get, get a couple get of the spi- <laughs> get get a couple of the Doritos Locos tacos. Yeah, yeah fourth meal time. Yeah. Fourth so d- thank you for all the people that submitted those. Those were absolutely yeah, brilliant. There were, were there were so many more. I just I had to pick a few and go with it. But the the answers to that were absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Um. So and I wanted to get into actually a comment that someone had sent us. It was a Lexington um, county commissioner or city city council person. I um, I saw that. Yeah. I think uh, it's a city when, councilman. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's a very good question. Which, which, but I, I wanted to point out an example because the whole argument behind Amazon lifting up the working class. I think there's probably some legitimate examples of it, but there's also like a lot of statistics that would show the opposite of that. Now they like to tout their minimum, like like I think they pay at least fifteen dollars an hour, maybe eighteen. I don't know, which is a good wage starting out, I'm sure, but. Um, the thing about this to remember is that the the people that are like analyzing this, they're writing these articles. They aren't they're not talking to Amazon workers as far as I can tell. They're sitting in an office looking at raw numbers. And when you look at those numbers, it, it looks good on paper. They look and they see that Amazon's establishing a wage floor in communities and job creation spurred. And it all sounds great, but it doesn't tell the full story about how Amazon decimates small businesses and communities and about how their consolidation is eventually creating a de facto megacorp that is going to control everything in a weird, like, like capitalistic socialism type of way. Um, and so... One thing I wanted to point out real quick is that there is an example from San Bernardino and where there is a huge Amazon facility that was built there. The share of people living in poverty in San Bernardino was 28.1% in 2016. There's a little bit of data latcher for you. Um, compared to 23.4 in 2011, the year before Amazon arrived. So there was um, – you know, the poverty went up afterwards. I'm not saying the correlation, causation are a thing, but it certainly didn't cause poverty to decrease and lift up the middle class like they were suggesting. The median household income also went down in 2016 there. It was about 38456 4% lower than it was in 2011. And so you're thinking like, okay, well, this is like the Inland Empire or whatever of California. Um so whatever, you know, I mean, like, that's just one place, and it's an urban area. But if you look at it, there's a Policy Matters Ohio did a study. They found that one in ten Amazon employees in Ohio is on food stamps. To me, that's not lifting up the working class. No, nope. I don't know about you. But. It's the same thing. Look, I, I'm this, this is what makes me mad about Amazon, right, is that for years and years and years I've heard – People on the left complain about Walmart doing this same thing, but yep. then when it comes to Amazon, because it's some like it's flashy and it can create 30,000 30, jobs all of a sudden, and it's a bunch of Silicon o- Valley people that they think are liberals. Correct, but now it's okay, even though those thirty thousand jobs that will come in, fifteen thousand of those people are now going to live off public assistance because Amazon refuses to pay them a livable wage. We've complained about big businesses doing this, but because Amazon is hip and cool and everybody kind of has this like, it's like Apple. They have a glowing admiration for Amazon. Amazon and Apple are kind of in the same. It's like Target too. Target has this weird like Target type feel to it, right? I don't get it. It it frustrates me because if we, Chuck, if we would have posted that tweet about Walmart, no one would have argued with us. They would have said, yeah, you're right. Like Walmart, they're trash. They treat people badly. And then when we posted about Amazon, it's like, well, well, kind of, <laughs> but they get, because, they get the uh, because it's a tech company, because, you know, the, as a brand universally in every like morning console poll, you'll see it gets good marks and they do pay their employees above minimum wage. I think their starting wage is something like 18 bucks an hour. 
which like on its surface, yeah, that sounds great. But when you look at how they treat their employees and when you look at the fact that there's still huge problems with these people living in poverty, then you have to question like, okay, what are they really doing that's helpful? You know, they, it's a, a multi, multi-billion dollar company, but how much are the employees, the people who are doing the labor actually seeing of that? Like, yeah, you can tout that you have like a good minimum wage, but if you're working your employees to the fucking death, and they're not seeing the fruits that they're they're not seeing any of the dividends of the the wealth that they're producing for the company. I mean, what can you really say about them? It also should make you question too. So I always question companies that say we're going to bring thirty thousand jobs, for instance, right? Because that's a that's a huge number. But to me, that screams we're going to hire a bunch of people part time, and we're not going to give them benefits, and we're going to get around the ability, you know, the the mandate to do that. We're going to pay them. Let's say they do pay them $18 an hour, but they only work them part time because they have now 30,000 new employees. But instead, if they would hire, I don't know, like 15,000, imagine the money that they could pay them full time, right? Yes, number of jobs is a great thing. However, you have to look deeper into it and look at what they're actually meaning. How many of those are full time? How many of those have a livable wage? How many of those are part time and will essentially create less benefits for the people working? It's a ton of stuff to look into rather than just looking at a number on a page. Right. Um, and I'm just, just to clarify here, their, their income or their revenue from 2020 was 386 billion. Their operating income was 23 billion. Wow. A lot of money. They could, uh, they could let that trickle down a little bit. Now I did want to point out, we actually got a, a, a very legitimate, um, comment from, from, City Commissioner, Lexington City Commissioner, Luke Glazer, Glazer, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, which which is a very legitimate question I wanted to bring up. He said, my dudes, if Amazon offered 1,000 jobs in Hazard, Kentucky, paying $40,000 a year, we'd be politically crucified for not welcoming that. Very, very true. true. We can diversify and protect against exploitation of future potential instability. Could you reasonably make this argument to my unemployed constituents? Very good question. John, do you want to take a stab at that first? I've got some thoughts, but I want to kick it well, to you. I mean, my, my first thought is, okay, that makes sense, right? Like, they bring 1,000 jobs guaranteed to pay $40,000 in Hazard, Kentucky. Okay, like, I get that. That's great, right? I don't like the comment of, we can fix things afterwards. That is, to me, that's a very dangerous political game. Because you make, anytime a company comes to your area, you make agreements, you have to give them something to bring them in. So this ability to then go back and fix doesn't actually exist most of the time. Most of the time, you're stuck with what you've agreed to. So I think that that's a very dangerous type of mindset when it comes to politics in general. Like, okay, we'll let it go for now, but we're going to fix it in the future. That worries me. Forty A thousand jobs at $40,000 in Hazard, Kentucky, obviously is great. We know that. We also know that there are issues that come along with that that we have to be prepared for now rather than a wait-and-see mentality, is my opinion. That's just my opinion. I No, I think um, – so it is a good question. I, so the point that we're getting at with, with this is not that we are against jobs coming into communities. It's we're against communities no. forming around one mega corporation. I think that's Correct. the point Correct. that we're trying to get at because it – it involves like inherently and, and historically involves that company being able to retain so much control and so much power over those employees that they're not able to, I think, operate in a fair environment where they have equal labor, where they have labor rights that are, that are fair and equal. Now, what I would say to that is that for something like that, it was coming to Hazard, Kentucky. There are a lot of things that communities are doing to try and ensure that the community and the workers are getting fair treatment and a fair shake of what's happening. So like a lot of places were like um, uh, in Nashville, for example, uh, the Stand Up Nashville is an organization that formed to form a community benefits agreement, a CBA, um, for the new soccer stadium, for example, because the new soccer stadium was going to be in a place where low income communities, it was going to, obviously when you build something like that and you have a lot of economic activity, it's going to gentrify the area. They wanted community benefits to ensure that money was going to affordable housing, that people were, that people were, they're going to hire union workers to build the stadium. I don't remember all the details of it, but it was something where it was like, the community was involved. It wasn't just a large corporation airdropping in and just doing what they say because, 
you know, economic impact and whatnot. It was where there was um there was a collective agreement among the company and among the people, and they came to an agreement where they were able to protect some of their interests and values. And I think that that's important when it comes to something like this. Obviously, like just because we don't like Amazon doesn't mean we don't want good paying jobs coming to Hazard. And I, and I know that's not what he was he was implying. I think it was you know no 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 he wasn't. But I think that when it comes to something that the community has to be involved with it, and it has to be something where you can still retain an independence of a community and not a corporate run community. I I do not like that. And like I, I know that some people will disagree with that. But I think it just gives companies too much power, and there will be a lot of people that will say, well, Amazon won't do what coal companies did. You sure about that? Give them a chance, and they <laughs> will. It may happen over time. It may be slower, but look at how much power they exercise over their employees right now. I mean, they track every single step that they take. So that's my thing. I'm not inherently against that, and I think that anything that can help build wealth and and pull people out of poverty in Hazard, Kentucky. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. But this is something where it's like it has to be where you're not ceding all of your power and all of your control and all of your independence to one company. That's my that's my opinion as an it's armchair, also, whatever the hell you want to call me. It's also bullshit to think that only coal companies. Can oh do this, Lord, no! Right? Yeah. Like you, you and I grew up in West Virginia, but we didn't grow up in a coal town. But we did grow up in a company town. Dupont, baby. DuPont, which controlled our entire town. It controls our circulatory watch- system. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. My nervous system is fucked. <laughs> no, I'm scared. I've uh, got forever chemicals. C8. Yeah. Uh, who needs jacked when you have C8, right? The... Or Jack 3D, whatever it is. Yeah, that's right. Whole- pronounce it correctly, goddammit. Uh, sorry. Uh, the whole point is, like, you have to create checks beforehand because we know what happens when we don't. Right. And I think DuPont is a great example of that. Not only have they controlled town after town after town, they poisoned 98% of the population of the world and got away with it. So don't tell me that there's the ability to go back in and create policy to fix what you've already allowed to be implemented. It doesn't happen. Yes, it's a great in theory. It just doesn't happen. And that's the frustrating thing. And that's what I want people to know, to just get prepared to do that. Those jobs are great, but create a structure in which they're checked. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And I I think just in general, I just, I worry a lot about Amazon's cultivation of power. And this is just another way for them to do it and to control people. Because look how powerful they are already. There's no sign that it's going to, gonna turn around and again i don't want to like sound ignorant to the potential benefits of something like this there's obviously like with anything there are potential positives and and you know there there that is a thing but it's like it's hard for me to see how this is how something where consolidating entire communities around one mega corporation is going to benefit the working class i just i just don't see it so i'm happy to be proven wrong but 100 percent. like if amazon can prove me wrong cool it's just they haven't proven me wrong yet. <laughs> like that, you know. They've been coming at Big John for so that's why they call him Teflon Big John, and it's not just because of Dupont poisoning the water. I, just, <laughs> I live the I live the gimmick. I live it. Yeah, that's true. We, well, uh, we we good on this. You got anything else you want to add? That's it. And I I just want to clarify, like I'm not when I say these things, I'm not attacking the idea that the commissioner is saying the idea makes sense it's just in application i think we have to look at a couple different things and i'm sure that hazard would be a great place for these jobs that's not the point we're going for so i just want to make sure that's clear right and while we we don't like amazon as a general principle like we understand the need for good paying jobs and there's a good there are good ways to do it like community benefits agreements is good policy and it puts the people yeah. it gives them skin in the game and it gives them stake in what's happening in their community rather than just ceding it all to the corporations and I think it's good policy that should be pursued with stuff like that. That's all I would say. Uh but speaking of which, let's um let's move into the last segment. Should we this is um is this the one hundredth beef? Technically, probably no. I'm sure I've skipped. I'm sure I've skipped one or two. I think I'm. I think in total, I have. I have skipped two beefs. One before. Yeah, yeah, two beefs. I've skipped. So this is the 98. All right. Well, that's not as fun. But 
the 98th beef with Big John. They call him the Duke, the Bush's baked beans dog of beef, guardian of the secret family recipe of striking fear in the hearts of those spewing bullshit his way. Ladies, gentlemen, gender non-binary folks worldwide, beef with Big John. Ladies and gentlemen and gender non-binary folks worldwide, we are pleased to present to you the beefeating mouth of the South coming to you live from a foreclosed Ponderosa back-to-back buffet world champion beef with the preacher! First off, I want to say, I think... What Chuck does every week, he, he spends his quality time creating these things. It's, but it's if a labor somebody, of love. Labor of love. If somebody wants to, if someone wants to create a jingle for Beef with Big John, I will totally accept that jingle, and we will play it again. Because I've created, I've created a hell of an intro. But yes, let's you know, we'll put it upon <laughs> the people. Right. So if you're if you're talented and uh, you're much more talented than I am, create something. I'm sure we'll we'll work it in. Anyway. This week's beef, I'm I'm just gonna make simple, man. This week's beef is just, I'm so sick now. Like we, we as people and we as Democrats or or liberals or whatever you want to call it, have harped on the fact that we need to hold politicians accountable, but we haven't done so. We haven't done a good job of proving why. So, like, in, for instance, it should be, in my opinion, pretty easy to beat uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right, because of all the things that she's done, she's caused thousands of deaths because of what she's posted about being anti-vaccine and things. Like, she has to live with that, and I'm sure she doesn't even think about it. Probably doesn't even affect her day to day. Would me, but it doesn't her. She should be easily beatable. I don't think that that's being capitalized on enough. I, I do you know who's running against MTG? I, I Marcus Flowers is one candidate. There's, there's, he's okay. on more of like the centrist Democrat, but then there is one on the left who I will look up while you're talking, but I cannot remember their name off the top of my head. But my whole point on that is those people, I, I watched it in, in 2020. They should be going viral on responses to everything that she says, everything, every word, because that's what they have to do to beat her. And that's what worries me about what's going on is like, I, I don't think Democrats, again, are not, they're not capitalizing on idiocracy, which is what MTG spews. Same with Madison, Mad Dog, right? Mad Dog yeah. 2020, you know. No one is, no one is capitalizing on him saying dumb shit. And it's so infuriating. Like, it would be different if no one had any interest in these jobs, right? Like, if there was no one running, I'd be like, well, you know, I get it. But there are people lined up to be the Democratic nominee in those areas. And we're not capitalizing. We're, what is going on is my question. Like, with every time this happens, new deaths occur, new families are affected, and more political discussion should be had, and it's not happening. And so to me, one, they're going to rewin up, they're going to get reelected because of this, because it's just inability to creatively campaign truth and two that leads to more deaths and terrible things that are going to happen for this country and i mean when you have a guy talking about the constitution the way that mad dog does who clearly doesn't understand what the constitution says yet is looked at on his side of the aisle as a constitutional scholar a fucking thought leader is, <laughs> is scary right but again no one is capitalizing on it the democrats if they want to be anywhere near winning in 2022 should have already been capitalizing on it and they're not they're just not and to me that's it's extremely disappointing and again it's what you and i have harped about for a hundred episodes now and that's the fact that democrats real good at governing real bad at campaigning and it, this is just that a politics me showing it again. Um, just to clarify, Wendy Davis, Holly McCormack, and Latifah Connor are the other candidates running on the Democratic side. So there's four. There's four I be- already. I believe I've, I've heard of Holly McCormack and Wendy Davis and then Marcus Flowers. I don't know if there's any. I, I, I've seen the most out of Marcus Flowers. I don't know if there's any like 
Been any favorite or anything? I have seen I, I've seen Marcus some, but not enough. I haven't seen any of these people enough. Just you know, look. I know it's early, but capitalize on everything. Take advantage of what they're doing because I it's going to be forgotten. I'm telling you that right now. It's going to be it's going to be swept under the rug. But if you can capitalize now and gain momentum and gain people on your side, you may have a chance to win. But if you continue to let MTG do what she does and let Mad Dog do what he does, you have no chance of winning that seat at all. Yeah, and especially with these, may, Madison Cawthorns might be a little bit different because it's slightly more competitive. But with especially with Marty Taylor Green's seat, you're not. No, what I'm going to say is you're not going to get a lot of national support from the actual party as far as resources mm-hmm. go. So you really have to run a uh, authentically grassroots national campaign. This is not a. It, you have to be local, of course. Yeah, but it's also going to be a national campaign because yes. if you don't attract national attention to it, you're going to get fucking railroaded. Money, money. Money, honey. That's the name of the game. It sucks, hate, but it's I know. true. And Democrats are always like, we got to take money out. Well, you know what? For right now, money's in it, so you got to learn to raise it. It sucks, That's just dick. the game. Oh, it sucks, it dick. It sucks. I had, to, I, I had to do it. It sucks. It's terrible. But it sucks. I get that. But you have to be able to capitalize. And these are the areas where if they were to be able to go viral responding to them, right? Chuck, you've seen it. Look at the amount of national donations that come into those campaigns that do that. They go viral replying to something that some person has said that's stupid. And it's cringy. Right? Don't give me your... It is cringy as no, fuck. It, it is so fucking cringy, but it works, sadly. But you gotta do you gotta it. Gotta do po- it. Politics are cringy. Politics are cringy. Like, that's it. I mean... Madison Cawthorn is... Like his name should be cringe because that's what he is. Everything he yes. says is an embarrassment. So you tweeting, so, I don't know. What Twitter is not real life, but you do need to build some sort of following so you can get the money in and be able to run an actual have, campaign. That's what I always say. Like, and maybe people, they're doing it. I don't know, but I don't know. People want to tell me that followers don't equal votes, and if, you know that is true to a point. But if you have no social media following. You're not going to win. I'm, I'm just telling you because you're not going to raise money because that's a great way to raise money right now because you can't go knock on doors because of COVID because of the people that you're running against continue to allow spread, which again, you should be capitalizing on it, to me. It's bad campaigning. It's not enough. And yes, they, maybe they're even talking about it, but if they're not, if you can't, go viral complaining about one of those two people and you're running against them, which I think Marcus even did go viral the first time he announced he was running. I, if I remember correctly, but you got to keep doing that because it's a tough seat to win already. You got to raise money. You got to make it almost like you're running for president in something like that. In that, in that area. I mean, yeah, you really do. Because if not, if not, you can't win because the people that live there likely aren't going to donate to your campaign or not going to donate a lot to your campaign in terms of percentage wise, but you need the nation to back you. That's how you win those. So if you're running against them, congrats, you're now running a presidential campaign. Get on it. And I mean, MTG, my God, she's got so much money. Oh, so much money. Incredible. You have to, you have to work now. You should have already been, you should already been raising money. Again, maybe I, I haven't looked there. there the Q3s know. are going to be coming out at the end of this month. We'll check that. We'll also check out J.D. Vance, see if he's raising any money. But, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. But we got to fight. we got to fight like fucking hell or else, you know, what what are we doing? Uh, Yeah, and, and I'm looking right now. Like, it, it looks like uh, Marcus is raising money. So I want to make that clear. But, so, for instance... Uh, Marcus is leading the Democrats with money on hand in that race with $234,000. Marjorie Taylor Greene spent a million dollars last quarter. Yeah, and that's like nothing. She'll (laughs) get all of it. She's already brought in $3.2 million. You gotta step up. That's all for I'm a, saying. For a small ass house race that literally, like, shouldn't even have committee assignments. She does not matter in that sense. It just right, exactly. She doesn't have real power, but her words have power to the general yeah. public. That's the problem. Exactly. She's not delivering for her constituents. Correct. Like oh yeah. My point. No. 
at it. I know you're, you're exactly right. So anyway, uh, good luck to you. If you're running, uh, this again, I'm not, I'm not angry at you. I just want you to do better because I want to see you win. I want to see you do a great job. Um, so take this beef and ignore it or run with it. That's all I'm saying. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you. That was a good beef, a solid, meaty win on this 100th episode. Thank you all so much for being with us throughout this whole time. Really so grateful and really appreciate it a lot. Check out all the links. Um, and check out, we just uh, we just posted the nomination link for our award show coming up. So get on that yes. shit. Yes. Get on that shit. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks so much, and uh, good night. Apod Latch is a production of 18 Husky Media. The views expressed on this show are solely that of the hosts, John and Chuck, and do not reflect the opinions or viewpoints of their employers.